This morning we are going to be in uh, Acts chapter 3, so grab your Bible. Acts chapter 3. Starting at verse 1. Before we get to uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, I, I need a little bit of honesty. Uh, I know some of you have grown up in the church. And uh, I, I want you to think back over your, your church life. And I want you to think in majority, not like, oh, this happened one time, but like the majority of your, your growing up in the church. And some of you are more recent church, church folks. Think about, again, in majority, not just like one time this happened. How many of you would say that on a regular basis, when the church would come together, whatever church, whatever denomination, whatever family, church family group comes together, you would see uh, a joy-filled, exuberant time of gathering, gathered worship. How many would just, and when I say exuberant, uh, like, man, people are happy, they're joy-filled, they're, there's just like this electric buzz going on in the, in the congregation. How many of you would say that was the majority of the time? Okay, I've got like two and uh, maybe three and a half of you. Okay, how many of you in your gathered worship time together with, I'm thinking maybe I'll get like one or two responses now, uh, would say that the majority of time in this exuberant kind of electric-filled, spirit-driven time together, that there was even the possibility of leaping and dancing. Okay, I've got one. Pre two. Now, that's not just by yourself, right? It all depends. Okay. Now, we, we, how many of you in your church life, now this, we're not going on majority, have been to a, a gathered worship service of the body of Christ, Christian believers, people who love Jesus, love Scripture, uh, are moved, filled and moved with the Holy Spirit, have ever been in a worship service where there has been deep joy and satisfaction in God, where there may have been dancing. You've, you've, <laughs> I love this. Okay, now, Scripture gives us templates of what happens when... Um, when the Holy Spirit comes and hearts are changed and there's a deep change that goes on. I would say, and this is a gross, a gross exaggeration, that for many North American middle class, upper middle class, uh, Caucasian circles, deep joy, exuberant joy, is not one of the marks of our worship. Agreed? The vast majority, there's not deep joy or exuberance. Or maybe you mask it really well. We mask it well and say, I have the joy of the Lord. And, and there's like no expression whatsoever. This morning, we're going to be reading about the first miracle. And it's not just one miracle. There's two miracles that you've got to look carefully for this. And I want you to not only see what are the two miracles that are kind of intertwined, I want you to look carefully to see what is the fruit of those two miracles that are intertwined. What happened 
And what is lacking for us? Let's read together. Starting at verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom he laid, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately, his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, um, these are your words. And all these words are breathed out from you. They're infallible, they're inerrant, and they are beautiful. Lord, I pray that this morning as I share Your words crafted in a, in a sermon, Lord, that my heart is first changed. And then through the power of Your words, Lord, that this congregation is changed deeply. So that we may be people who are marked with exuberant joy because of the salvation that You bring. Use this time, O Lord, for Your glory's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this text, this text records the first miracle that we see in Acts. That, that God enabled the, the apostles to do. It was a normal day for them. Peter and John were going up to the temple. They lived in Jerusalem. They had that special luxury of daily going to worship at the temple. You see, it was not just for us a Sunday thing, or for their sake, because they are good Jewish guys, a Sabbath thing. Daily they were going up for the time of prayer, the ninth hour of the day. And for them, that meant 3 o'clock. There was a midday break to go up and pray. Daily. And Peter and John, and I'm sure the rest of the apostles, were making their way up for their daily task of praying to Yahweh. And I'm sure these apostles' hearts were just filled because it brought on a whole new sense of what prayer was about. They had spent their last few years with Jesus Christ. They witnessed His life, His death, His resurrection, His, his time, His 40-some days of walking around with Him, teaching them all about Scripture. And then they saw Him ascend. And then on top of that, after His ascension, they had to wait 10 more days. And there was a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit as now God resided with them. 
as we read from 1 Corinthians uh, 3.16, God's temple now is with us. The Holy Spirit now dwells within us. And they're going, well, we'll, we'll still go to temple. We'll still pray. We'll pray because that's a great place to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray together. But man, they're now going, we are now vessels filled with the Holy God. It is time to go for prayer. And I am sure that as faithful Jewish devotees to prayer and to the Word and sacrifices, they cross through the beautiful gate on their way to temple. Day after day. It's probably their normal path. But I'm willing to guess that day after day, they missed this guy. Because he had kind of blended in. He was a, a temple wallflower. He is just one of them. Of the many who were putting out their hands and saying, alms, alms for the poor. And there's something about their tradition that said that they were to give alms. They were to care for the poor. That was one of the things that they cared deeply for the poor amongst them. It was their own social welfare program. But for some reason, that morning, or that afternoon, Peter heard the voice. As he and John were going into the temple, he heard and saw this man face to face in a fresh and new way. This morning, I believe that this man was not only healed physically, but he was also healed spiritually because he was seen after receiving... I, listen, gold and silver, I don't have none. One, I'm a, we, we, we were fishermen at one time. Now we're following Jesus doing His work. We, we don't have gold and silver, but what I have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. I believe He was not only healed physically, He was healed spiritually because we find Him doing what? Leaping and praising God. Praising God. This, this, this man's joy, deep joy, is a fulfillment of what I believe the Messiah was promised to do. You see it in Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 said, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongues of the dumb will shout for joy. This is the beginning of something powerful and beautiful that was taking place as Spirit-filled believers were listening to the Holy Spirit and acting faithfully. So in this story in Acts, it attests to the divine Messiahship of Jesus Christ. It shows that Jesus continued to do the work through His apostles. You see, when Jesus ascended, it was not done. Jesus' work continued to take place. Jesus continued to teach. Jesus continued to heal through His body, the church of Jesus Christ. You see, this miracle is a huge picture for us this morning. Because it's not just a picture of divine healing. It's also a picture of spiritual healing that God brings to a spiritually lame world. This is our theme for this morning. 
your note taker, here it is, up here on the sides. God's miraculous gift of salvation should cause him, should cause us to praise him with exuberant joy so that others will marvel at his power. God's gift, miraculous gift of salvation, should cause us to praise him in this amazing way. So that it does what? You, you look at the very end of this, this section and how did the people respond? You, you, you get down there in verse 10. The people who saw this, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had just taken place. They were like, what is going on? I have seen this guy all my life. And look at him. He is dancing and praising God. He was filled with exuberant joy. So there's three lessons that I, I really want to point out. And point number two has three points, so it's really a six-point sermon this morning, plus the conclusion. Seven, if you're keeping track. The first lesson for us to consider this morning is this. The first lesson is salvation is a miraculous gift from Jesus. Not a human self-improvement project. It's not a self-improvement project. I, 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 when I was first a counselor at Camp Manitoba, when I first got into ministry, even in youth ministry, and early on in my young adult ministry, there was this idea, you come to Jesus and life will get better. Jesus was my self-improvement project. You accept Jesus, automatically, things are going to be just this beautiful walk with Him. Everything's going to get cured. Your family issues. You know, your marriage is going to get better. Your children are going to be raised up in the way of the Lord and they're never going to step off the path. Man, Jesus is a self-improvement program. He is a plan to make things better for you. The reality is salvation is a miraculous gift. It's a miraculous gift. And it is not a self-improvement plan. We often underestimate what God does when He saves a soul. We view it in human terms as, as a human decision that requires human follow-up so that the decision sticks. Just read this next book and it'll stick a little bit better. Do this kind of spiritual discipline and it'll stick a little bit better. Kind of a human Oprah plan. You do these things and things are just going to get better and better. And I'm not denying that a person needs to make a decision and have proper follow-up so that he or she can just continue to grow in their new faith. But what I am emphasizing it's 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Salvation is, is nothing less than God imparting His life to a person who was dead in their sin. God imparting new life. Breathing fresh life into a dead life. And God's mighty creative power is involved in saving that soul. And it is far, a far greater miracle than a man who could never walk, now walking. 
You see, the human race has been spiritually lame ever since the fall. We've been spiritually lame. This man had been lame since his mother's womb. He was born unable to walk. It was a congenital issue. And it's a sad picture of our human race that has been maimed by the fall. And that original sin has affected, infected every one of us. There's not one of us that has not been touched deeply by the sin of Adam. We believe as a church in absolute, total depravity. There's not one area in our life that is unaffected by sin. Therefore, we are all, apart from Christ, apart from Christ, we are spiritually lame, unable to walk, unable to walk spiritually, unable to have joy in the Lord spiritually. We are, uh, apart from Christ, we are dead. Spiritually dead. Unable to do anything. In this, in this day, and age, day and age, when we, we got all these laws about how to help handicap get up, we've got these concrete ramps, we've got elevators, we've got all these walking mechanisms to help people move about. In that day and age, there was nothing. It required friends putting them on a cart, taking them, dumping them off at the beautiful gate. But he could not even get there on his own. We are just like that man. While this gate was considered to be called the beautiful gate, this man's legs were useless. Useless legs. Anything but beautiful. He's a sad picture of how sin just cripples humanity. Scripture gives us picture after picture after picture of our fallen condition, the condition of our hum human race, Ephesians 2.1 says that we are dead in our sins. I don't know if you've been to a funeral before. There's nothing beautiful about death, is there? But we are dead in our sins. Another one in 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that we are blinded by the God of this world. We're totally blind. We can see nothing. We can do nothing apart from Christ. We are ignorant and unable to understand spiritual truth. If I come up to you and say, you're, you're absolutely ignorant. That's not a compliment that you take and say, thanks. I appreciate it. That's really beautiful. Thank you. I've never been called ignorant. Can we hug it out? But 1 Corinthians 2 says that we are absolutely unable to see and comprehend any kind of spiritual truth. We are, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, we are deceived and deluded. Mark says we are deaf and dumb. Mark again says that we're leprous. And we, he goes on to call us lame. That's our, our spiritual condition apart from Christ. But another thing that we can learn is that there's, there's nothing that spiritually lame people can do to heal their spiritual condition. This man... Physically lame his whole life. There was nothing he could do to get up and walk. There was nothing. He, he was, 
he would be dragging himself his entire life from here to there, depending on other people to take him places. He was absolutely hopeless. There were no operations available for this congenital condition. No physical therapy, no efforts at a self-improvement plan. There was no PTOT, whatever T kind of programs for him. He was on his own, dragging himself around. He had no hope to ever walk. The Bible teaches that as sinners, there is nothing that we can do to heal our alienation from God. Nothing. There's nothing that you and I can do to heal that gap, to spiritually walk with God. There's nothing that I can do. We can, we can embark on a, on a program for self-improvement. We can give away all of our money to the poor and our possessions to feed the poor. We can do all those good acts. We can enter a monastery where we can spend hours and days praying and fasting. We can... Dis- We can deny ourselves all the pleasures of life. We can devote ourselves to a life of selfless service as Mother Teresa did in Calcutta. And at the end of all of our efforts, we are not even a fraction of an inch closer to God. Because we have not eradicated the sin we have inherited from Adam. We're not even a fraction of an inch. Even if you spend your life doing all good things, that this world would pat you on the back, there is nothing that will get you closer to God. Even the Bible says in Isaiah 64 that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Before a holy God watching a sinful person not saved by grace do these activities, God is looking and going, oh, you're still a filthy rag. All those good things that you're trying to do to muster up are still filthy rags. Nothing good about that. Presenting our good deeds to God only reveals just even the depth of our pride. To think that I can do it. I can muster up my own salvation. I'm good enough. And God's going, you know what? Here's the reality. You are dead in your sins. You are dead in your sins. And a dead person cannot bring himself or herself alive. A dead person does not even have ears to hear anymore. This attempt to save ourselves is probably the biggest barrier that keeps people away from God's salvation. Except for biblical Christianity, it is an essential part of every religion that we must add our works to what Christ has already done. But the Bible plainly states, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to God's own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that you and I can do. There's no program, there's no just faithful Bible reading that will automatically change my heart of stone into a heart of flesh that loves Jesus. 
The reality is that God heals the spiritually lame by His mighty power. As a free gift. And it's apart from our own works and our own merits. It is God's mighty power as a free gift of mercy and grace. And it's absolutely free. There's nothing that you and I can do to earn this gift. It's unmerited. The power for healing this man came in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's the only thing that's... In the name of Jesus Christ. There was no other miraculous words. But Peter just goes, listen, I have no silver. I have no gold. Listen, I have nothing to give to you. But here's the best thing that I can give you. The only thing that I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up. And Peter, Peter attaches this, this despised kind of Nazareth thing at the end to show that God uses both the foolish things of this world to shame the wise and to emphasize that it was a man, this man, Jesus Christ, from the village of Nazareth who, imparted from, who was imparted from heaven power to heal. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Scripture says it. The best thing came from Nazareth. Jesus Christ of Nazareth came. And this Jesus Christ came and imparted with power healing that could never take place. Sometimes in the Gospels and in Acts, a person is healed because he has the faith to be healed. But in many instances, the person was healed as an act of God's sovereign grace. And I love these. It, it was, it's not, there's no indication that the person even knows or sees that it's coming. It's just an act of God's, co- not common grace, sovereign grace saying, you, do, you don't see this coming, but bam! Got him! There was no planning that he did. He was unsuspecting. And all of a sudden, bam! Got him! This, this lame man had no idea this was coming. He was just waiting for gold and for silver. Give me a handout. That's all there. I've been doing this all my life, all my life. And all of a sudden, this guy stops and says, listen, and he's probably heard this before. You know, you've got to get a job. You know, you've got to do this. Why don't you quit hanging out here on these street corners holding up the signs? Vet needing money to get off the street. You know, feed me and my children. And everybody kind of turns and says, get a job. He was expecting those kind of things. He's expecting a handout. And this morning, or that afternoon, unlike any other day, Peter said, you know, I don't have anything for you, but but what I do have to you, I'm going to give to you, and it's going to blow you away. It's an act of God's sovereign grace. Jesus gave Peter the faith that he would heal this blind man. He meaning God, would uh, this lame man. That God would heal this lame man. People, we often have blind eyes. We don't even see what God can do. We, do, we have Deaf ears that we don't even know. We can't even hear what God's saying. But Peter had just a spiritually in tune ear and eye that morning. Peter responded 
to the prompting of the Lord. As he is walking through the, the gate, God goes, hold on. Don't walk too fast. That one. Go. Silver and gold have I none. But I need to respond to you. The man knew where the healing came from. He knew exactly where it came from. He didn't shout praises to Peter. He didn't shout praises to John. He didn't even praise his own mental attitude saying, man, I knew if I kept a positive mental attitude, something good would happen. He didn't even say that. He didn't boast in his great faith. You see what I've done? I am a faithful Jewish man who have been begging at the gates, and I've been faithful, even showing up to the edge of the temple. Look at me. It wasn't even his faith that he boasted in. No, he simply praised God. He praised God. God alone, by His great mercy, was the cause of His cure. When God mercifully saves your soul, He doesn't do it because of anything that He sees in you. He doesn't do it in cooperation with your best efforts. He doesn't see any great potential lurking underneath the surface of your life and save you because, man, he'd make a great disciple or she would make a great disciple. He doesn't look at you and say, oh, her voice reminds me of the angels singing in heaven, whether they sing or not. Or it sounds like, oh, you know what? I'm going to save her because her voice could be used to the glory of God? No. Or do you see how he works in the business place? How he's able to influence? I'm going to say that one because he's great in the, the, oh, she's a phenomenal teacher. We could use that. Oh, this one. No, none of those things. He doesn't even see that you mean well. And in spite of your many mistakes and he saves you because you're basically you have good intentions. He doesn't even see great faith and save you because he knows that you would be a model believer. He saves you because of one reason and one reason only because of his undeserved favor. Un it blows you away. Everything in our society says if I'm good enough, if I work hard enough, if I do these things, I can move up the ladder, I can become a better friend, I can get into the inner circle. If I do all these things, if I can manipulate the system, I can get favor of these people, I can have more money, I can have a better place, I can have a better situation, I'll feel better about myself. If I do all these things, God goes, no, it has nothing to do with you. Nothing. There's nothing good about you at all. Filthy rags. Dead in your sins. Nothing good about you. But I've got the best thing. Undeserved favor. It is totally by His power and His grace. Ephesians 2. For it is by grace. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Nothing. This is not your own doing at all. 
In fact, when you when God opens up your ears to hear, when the Holy Spirit is working in your ears, your heart, your lives, you cannot help but to respond. It is absolutely irresistible. You cannot help but to respond. Because it is the most delicious, unmerited, undeserved thing. But you have to respond to the grace that has been given to you. And when God saves our soul, He always gives us far more than we expect. This lame man was was not expecting a miracle. He only wanted a handout to get him through. And isn't that just kind of a picture of so many who come to God? They're overwhelmed by life's problems and issues. Perhaps their family life's a mess, or they failed at a business, or they've got a life-threatening illness. They come to God just hoping for a hand up, man, okay, I'll show up to church again. So often it's in pastoral ministry, I see, oh, look who's back. And you start asking questions. So, been a while. What's here? Well, you know, my marriage, it's kind of rough right now. Or I, I just I, I broke up with my girlfriend or she broke up with me. Or man, we're, we're financially hitting the bottom and I, I'm just, I just need to come back to church. They're hoping to come to God for just a handout. Something to get them through just another day. But in God's great mercy, He imparts to them the miracle of regeneration. Of regeneration. You've got to understand this word. Regeneration. Anybody know what it means? To regenerate. God, God makes alive. He's the one who energizes, brings to life. God imparts. God imparts to them the miracle of new life. They are born again to a living hope. They obtain an inheritance which is absolutely imperishable and undefiled without a handout. And they become surprisingly joint heirs with Christ. So here's point number two. And I'm moving, feels like at the speed of light. God's salvation. God's salvation should cause those who have received it personally to praise Him with exuberant joy. God's salvation should cause those who receive His salvation to respond in praise with exuberant joy. I love the description of this man. He was was just walking and he was leaping. That's why I did the survey at the beginning. How many of you experienced it? Very few of us. Exuberant joy. And it's not just in that moment of salvation. I, I remember personally when that happened to me, it's like, oh my gosh, there was just like this adrenaline rush through me. God's Spirit is moving in me. This was absolutely amazing. It was probably that first feeling where you're going, I've got new life. The amazing thing is that the Spirit's power, the Spirit's filling is available to us on a daily, ongoing basis. And this man was walking and leaping and praising God. 
And I realized that he wasn't walking and leaping and praising God every day of his life from that point on. There was no bouncing down the street. And there's the odd guy that got, he used to be lame and he's just bouncing around. But I'll bet that often he thought of it as he was walking somewhere. Oh, I can't believe it. It's ten years later. (laughs) I still have scars on my legs because I used to drag myself. Look at that. They're no longer scarred. They're healed and I'm walking. Who would have ever thought? Who would have ever thought? Praise God for His his just absolute abundant mercy. It's undeserved. I didn't even see it coming. There's three reasons why I believe that salvation should just fill us with exuberant joy. And here's the first one. Salvation fills us with exuberant joy because because it's received unexpectedly. You receive the best present ever. And what do you do? You respond with joy and thanksgiving and praise and a, a life filled with joy. God takes us by surprise, doesn't He? If you're really aware of it, God takes you by surprise. And are we caught up in that surprise? I don't believe it. Ten years later, I still don't believe it. God caught me by I never saw this company. Imagine the joy that you should have by being caught by the surprising God of creation. The one who spoke and it all was, who formed the world, and he goes, You today shall receive the gift of salvation. Not because of anything you have done. I am going, you are, you're in Christ now. You are a new creation. The old, gone. The new has come. God totally blows it all away. If we could go around the room and just share testimonies, many of you would tell about how you did not even see it coming. Even if you've been raised in good Christian homes, the moment where all of a sudden it clicks, where it's like, oh, uh, oh, I get it. This, my parents have been talking and doing Bible studies and They've been doing devotions around the table. They've been praying. They've been going to church. Maybe even going to a Christian school. Maybe doing Awana or maybe doing Cadets or Calvinettes or Gems. Whatever it's called in those days. We go through all these things and it's kind of this thing. But all of a sudden, one day, the light comes on and you go, oh my goodness. God moves into your life with with power and your change on the inside, and you will never be the same. Reason number two, salvation fills us with exuberant joy because it is received instantly. Instantly. This man was healed instantly. Peter grabbed his hand, 
pulled him up to his feet, and before he was upright, the strength pulsed through his legs and his ankles, the muscles that were deteriorated and atrophied and all those other kind of medical words that I don't know. His legs were now filled with strength and there were muscles where there were no muscles before. And what was he doing? He wasn't hobbling around. Immediately he was doing what? If you've ever seen somebody who has gone through a stroke and they're, they're trying to learn how to walk again, they're holding on to these bars and they're ba- they need everybody on the side spotters ready. Ready, walk on, you know, kind of thing. They're trying to watch them from the side, every side, because any time they're going to fall, instantly God healed them, and he was, he was jumping, He was leaping. There was movement. God works that way. When He saves a person, immediately what happens? They're alive. Spiritually alive. And that's how God saves a soul. There is no process of being born again. You are born again. It's not a lifelong process of coming out of the spiritual birth canal. You are born again. Immediately. You're not born in a, mo- in a moment of time, even if you don't remember it. You are, you are born in a moment of time, even if you don't remember it. You could walk into this church and a person enslaved to some of the, the world's worst sins imaginable can get saved and walk out a new creature in Christ. We could have a mass murderer walk into our midst, a, a child pornographer walk into our midst. We can have somebody struggling with lust, sleeping around on his or her spouse, doing the worst conceivable things. And in a moment, by the grace of God, He could pour out His mercy and grace undeserved to that person and immediately they are alive in Christ. Immediately. You see, Scripture declares that God instantly justifies. Instantly makes us right with God the Father justifies the one who has faith in Jesus' death on his behalf. And the one who has been justified by God's grace through faith cannot go living as he or she formerly did. It's impossible. He has changed you from within so that he begins to pursue a life that pleases God. He cannot go back to his old ways. Could you imagine if this lame man He's instantly up and dancing and praising God and enjoying new life and salvation. And the next day he goes, you know what? I kind of liked begging. I kind of liked people dragging me around. I kind of liked being dependent on other people. I, you know what? I kind of I need to call my buddies up again and see if they'd carry me around on the mat. That was kind of luxurious. I liked people looking down at me. I like handouts. Buddies would go, seriously, you have no reason to beg anymore. No reason. With his healing came new responsibilities. All he knew was how to live to beg and beg to live. But now he had to learn new work for his keep. And God's healing and salvation 
brings new responsibilities. We can no longer excuse our sins. For those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. There's no more excuses. Relying on the powerful work of the Holy Spirit to convict and help us put to death sin in our lives. Crucifying the old way of life. Putting it to death. There's no more excuses. But that new way of life can be traced back to an instant where God imparted new life in Christ by His sovereign grace. One minute we were congenital spiritual cripples and the next minute we can walk and leap for joy. The pivotal change in our standing with God took place in that instant. And here's the last and third reason is that salvation fills us with exuberant joy because it's received completely. It's received completely. When God saves, He gives us the whole package. Like a man who inherits a fortune from an unexpected source, it all becomes His at once. It may take Him a lifetime to explore it and enjoy the benefits of it, but He possesses it all at once. The same is true. You become alive in Christ at at a moment you're instantly justified. You become alive. It takes a lifetime to explore all the joys of what it means to be in Christ. And part of that that lifetime process is putting to death this issue and this area and this sin and this sin. You keep discovering the new joys that are found in Christ. Oh my goodness, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to put to death the area of of lust in an ongoing way. And Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm able to put to death this area of pride in a whole new way. I am able to love in fresh new ways. Oh, thanks be to God that He's given me this power. He's given me this power to live in fresh and new ways in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every, every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing is available to you in Christ. My last and third point, point number seven, six, seven, six, six, plus conclusion. The exuberant joy of our salvation should provide an entrance for the Gospel with others. I love this man's unrestrained expression of joy. Unrestrained. Imagine leaping in the sacred temple. I as a kid cannot even imagine that. Growing up in a certain kind of uh, culture, you only walked in church. 
If you ran in church and your parents got close to you, you got the church pinch that was from H-E double hockey sticks. You've got the, we don't run in church. That's not how we behave. There's no laughter. Even if strange noises are coming from the pews, there is no laughter in church. None of that. It's inappropriate. But this man in the, in the holy area of the temple was doing what? He was leaping with joy. Leaping with joy. It was unrestrained and probably totally improper. What are you doing? We are in God's presence. Somebody restrain this man. Get him under control. We are before a holy God. But he said, don't you realize? Don't you realize I have never walked before this day? I've never walked. I've never walked. And you want me to walk? God has empowered me with these legs that have strength and my ankles can now hold my weight. I've got balance. And you want me just to walk? Mm. I've never walked this way. God has healed me. Praise His holy name. He couldn't keep it to Himself. And the people who knew this man's sad past were absolutely amazed. There was some way the way he was leaping and shouting praise to God that led them to amazement. Their amazement did not get them saved. Okay? Did you hear anywhere in there that this man's right living led them to Christ? Preach the Gospel at all times and if necessary, use words? Uh Uh-uh. It did not save anybody in those temple courts. They were amazed and they were drawn and they were attracted to what's going on. Who is this man? Tell me more about this story. It did open them to listen to Peter's sermon that follows next week. And God used that sermon, this leaping, jumping man who had a joy-filled life. He was on display. His life reflected the power of the Gospel on him. And people were amazed and surprised. What is going on? But it was Peter's sermon, the sharing of the Gospel, the words of the Gospel, that led some 2,000 people. 2,000 people. People need to hear the content. The content of the Gospel message. And repent of their sins to be saved. So in conclusion, the story of the healing of the lame man should make us ask three questions. First, first question is, have I received God's gift of healing of my soul through faith in Jesus Christ? Have I received this gift, this undeserved, unmerited gift of spiritual healing by faith in Jesus Christ? That is the first and foremost question we have got to ask. Have I received wholeness from Christ? Second, 
if I have received Christ, does the joy in my life reflect? Does the joy in my life reflect what God has done in my soul? Think about it. Really. Has what God done in my soul, is there the joy in my life that reflects? Oh. Do I have a leaping heart of joy? A heart of deep gratitude? Is it exuberant? And last, am I looking for opportunities? Am I looking for opportunities to share the joy of new life in Christ with those around me who are spiritually crippled? Am I looking? Do I even have Peter's eyes and ears to be able to see and hear? Oh, this person needs... I can give him a spiritual handout. Here's a nice Bible. Dude, just read away. I can give you cash. It'll get you through maybe a hotel room for a night. Maybe a little food. But are you looking for opportunities because of what God has done in your life and the joy that you have in your, your salvation? The, the whole David, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That restoration leads to sharing the joy of salvation in Christ.